and welcome to Serenity in Leadership's series on leading responsibly with integrity and purpose. A series dedicated to conversations with people who are shining examples of this kind of leadership. I'm Tom Dennis, and today I'm delighted to welcome Claude Bertrand, who is a friend, an old client, and now the Executive Vice President of Research and Development and Chief Scientific Officer of Servier, an independent international pharmaceutical company which is governed by a non-profit foundation. He has a significant breadth of experience, having worked previously at many of the pharmaceutical giants, Novartis, uh, Roche, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Ipsen. Apart from working in a fascinating industry, one of the reasons we asked Claude to join us is because he's an extraordinary leader. And I know this firsthand having worked with him. So welcome, Claude. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for the invitation. It's uh, really delightful to be with you today. <laughs> Fantastic. So let, let's get stuck in. You are a very modest man. So maybe you don't view yourself in this way, but I think you're a pioneer leader in the pharmaceutical sector. How do you lead so well in a world that is moving so fast? So that's a thousand dollars question. And uh, there's plenty of things to, to be said here. But um, the first thing really is to always remember where you're coming from. And uh, thanks for uh, uh, trusting me to be uh, humble and to work with some uh, humility in what, uh, in what I do. But I fundamentally think that it comes very far out from the education you're getting and the kind of uh, path you have been through until you get to your career and eventually you get to a, a management position. Uh, and, and I don't know if I'm doing it so well to start with, <laughs> but <laughs> what I know is that I never forget where I was coming from. And there's a couple of... Uh, characteristic and I would not qualify myself as a going through a tough life but uh, I had number of uh, obstacles uh, as a as a child and uh, uh, as a family uh, overall and I think that helps me a lot to develop some characteristic that still helps me now and, and some of those is first to be humble and I was educated that way. So mm. no show off, no uh, uh, publicity about uh, whatever you do uh, badly or, or in the right way, but it's, it's really to, uh, to uh, look at life in, a, in an humble way, to be very open, to be extremely curious, and that's not so much education, but also part of your uh, DNA or not, uh, and I think that helped me a lot to be ready to fail, learn from your failures. This uh, attitude, I never planned for my career. And for me, there's a lot about learning as you, uh, as you walk. And if you combine being curious and learning as you walk, it's amazing what you can, uh, what you can do and what you can achieve. Absolutely focus. Uh, on, on diversity, not one size fits all. So being always aware of how you can do things 
in different ways, so adaptable, agility, and, and probably many others. But that's the one that are coming to my uh, to my mind as as we are talking and during this first question this uh, this morning is uh, is uh, the world is moving fast, and so you have to be adaptable, and you have to be agile. And so I think all the characteristics as described are helping to basically uh, evolve. And so even more important, if you start to lead uh, other people and to be able to give them confidence in this moving world, you have to, to have some of those uh, characteristics. So, so if I hear you right, you haven't really had goals. You've just been in the moment uh, doing things in the best way that you can and and your 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 career and your life has evolved through that is that is that right not entirely so i i, I have um in different parts of my life i had certain kind of uh, medium long-term objectives when i was a fourth rider and i was uh progressing towards competition I think I have a terrible bias of wanting to win. So that's definitely a driver on its own, whatever field. Now, I never had the objective to be a, a, a French champion. That was not the objective was, you know, how can do how can I do best what I enjoy at that moment? It was horse riding. When I decided to move towards pharmacy, pharmaceutical uh industry and, and therefore all the trainings to go there at, at university i was passionate about what i was doing mm. and then i was giving myself the objective or the goal to say how can i do that piece the best way possible mm. and, and and it's that's the dynamic in a way and and that's how things eventually follow i, I think during this uh, time together we'll, we'll talk a lot about purpose i mean that's part of the of the uh of the title of your series but for me is purpose and passion are two words that drives many things i've done in my life even in an environment where you know my mom my grandmother who admire me a lot as the son or the grandson but not because I was just a, you know, a fantastic student or a, 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 a fantastic at sport as a, as a kid. They were just very supportive. Yeah. And I found in myself the passion, the purpose in all of the things I've done. And we could go for hours as well in terms of building a family, uh, having numerous kids and all. It's always the same recurring theme is what's your purpose? Mm. And, and, and how much passion can you put into what you're doing? And that's, for me, uh, traits that are really, really, really important for leaders. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, thank you. So in, in one of our recent interviews uh, with Dean Carter, who used to lead Global HR and Shared Services at Patagonia, which is a company that I, I can get really passionate about, <laughs> Um, he challenged the concept that the so-called VUCA world um, in which we find ourselves today is unique, that there was probably as much volatility in, for instance, the 1960s. 
Do you think things are more challenging today for leaders or, or are we just talking about it much more? So, first of all, I must say I enjoyed this, uh, this uh, podcast. <laughs> it was just uh, it was just great. He, the guy got so much energy. And I, it's true that uh, uh, the company uh, raised lots of interest to me. But uh, so back to back to your question. I mean, first, I think you uh, I, I think the the world has been evolving all the time, and if I if I uh, uh, if I'm thinking about all the um, evolution revolution just in the kind of last century, the 20th century, I think they are tremendous. If you if you start from uh, uh, really the beginning of the 19th and 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 going up to uh, 2020, it's just uh, immense. I think. So I tend to agree with him. I think VUCA is a little bit of a kind of uh, uh, the the world of the of the moment. I think things have been evolving all the time. Mm. For me, the big difference, and I'm not sure if it's more or less challenging, but the big thing is the dynamic and the acceleration of of change. So I think we've been changing all the time, and we see that now is obviously a all the work on uh, on the uh, climate change and and all that it's always been climate change is that the speed at which is happening and the parallel is true for the revolution the uh, uh digital world you know it's like you got a slow evolution and suddenly there's an acceleration and i think on many different aspects we are changing as probably it was changing post-war you know if i'm listening uh when I was listening to my parents in the uh, in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s, I started to uh, realize uh, what was uh, what was going on. Lots of things change, but I don't think they change at the same speed. Mm. And I think that's what we have to deal with today: is to adapt to change, as we have always been adapting to change, but at a very different pace. Mm. And uh, so. So I tend to agree. I think uh, it's not more VUCA today than it was uh, maybe uh, 20 or 30 years ago, but it's accelerating drastically. And so we need, we need to adapt in a, much faster, in a much faster way. So I'm back to, we need to be agile. I think we need to be calm. We'll come back to that uh, later on. I mean, I think you, you have to impose on yourself uh to observe again i was back mm. to being curious observing and all of that and not jump or not feeling that you are kind of forced into change just because around you it's turning like uh, it's turning like crazy and that's maybe you know the the the, the phenomenon that we are experiencing and uh, today and we see that in the uh, work environment i mean the mm. number of uh, uh, burnout, people quitting their job, wanting to do something completely different because they're just fed up by uh, by the the speed at which things are going, and and they are calling on, you know, almost a period of calm, being able to to take some some distance out of this washing machine that you you feel that you are in all the time, and yeah. and I think there is a lot to be done by a leader in that environment is that you have to impose, almost dictate those kind of uh, moments where you can think 
where, where you can take distance yeah. uh, rather than just uh, oh here's the news on the, of the morning and uh, and, uh, and and we are you know com completely overwhelmed by the the, the, the information and and and, and uh, crisis one after the other. Mm, so yeah. really for me not so much a change in evolution but clearly an acceleration and that's what we we need to uh, to deal with right now yeah it reminds me i um i often think of this uh, you know i i was privileged in, enough to uh go go down the grand canyon uh rafting some some years ago and um there were a couple of canoeists that came with us and you know before each of the rapids and they're, they're pretty scary things the rapids <laughs> You know, we'd all get out and we'd we'd go and sort of look at the layout and and um, everyone would plot their their route, which would even for those who'd been down it a number of times, it changes depending on the the power of the water and so on. And it's a very strong metaphor for me to see the the canoeists when they actually they have to set their their route, hmm. but actually when they're in the rapid there's very little they can do except to do very small uh, alterations and those are absolutely in the moment and th there's this kind of inner peace that has to exist so that you 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 allow the flow and you're just making the 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 the, the, the right adjustments which are very small in the moment yes and I think that's a kind of analogy that, for me, around leadership is is sort of very apt, really. It's it's a, it's a it's a very good one, actually. It's a very good one because I think that's that's a, when when you have lots of changes, excitement, even crisis. The last thing to do is basically to jump in, and as a man of action, maybe 10, 20 years ago, you know, <laughs> you have known me then. I would have jumped. I think I've learned a lot of the value of, and it doesn't take that much time. You're not wasting time. You're not losing time. You're actually just taking the right time to analyze the situation and making sure that uh, you avoid uh, some, some really big mistakes. And sometimes, as you said, just follow the flow and with a, a bit of touch in in key parts of the uh, of the organization of the project and all of that you know you, you you'll get to the right uh, you'll get to the right place and achieve your goal so I like and, and of, yeah and and of course I, I think when people are in this kind of situation where they're, they're very uncertain they look to their leaders and if the leader it, it's not that they don't know what to do because often they don't but if they see the leader who is grounded and calm within themselves, then the, there's the, the calm is very infectious, as is the panic. So I, I see that as a real responsibility of leaders. And I've, I think I've witnessed that with you, is that sense of groundedness um, yeah. that, that people find really reassuring. And I learned that from we are back to observation, observing. And, and if you have, uh, I will not say admiration, but I, I, if you follow your leaders and you are ready to learn from them, uh, and I remember two, uh, one 
was at uh, Ibsen at the time of major crisis and uh, stock price going from, uh, I don't know, 40, 50 to uh, uh, 20 uh, type of things we are seeing at the, uh, at the moment. Uh, Mark at that time, Mark de Garidel, uh, teach me about what taking time to think and calm was about. I'm not sure he was calm inside, but he was giving the impression that we'll go through that uh, storm and things will be fine. I learned tremendously. And I must say, Olivier today, who is, my, uh, who is the CEO of uh, Servier, is probably of the same type of character. Mm. Sure, mm. they have peaks and troughs like anybody else, but they don't show it. And when things are really getting tense, uh, and again, potentially a certain crisis, they are almost giving you the impression that they are calmer than when things are going fine. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, as you said, extremely uh, reassuring for, for people in your leadership team uh, and allow them then to think and try to take the, the right action to, uh, yeah. to counter so the crisis. I guess following on from that, as someone working in pharmaceuticals, when COVID broke, what were the leadership dynamic challenges that you had to deal with? You know, I could probably spend uh, hours to talk about our industry. Uh, and sometimes I feel how unfair people are against the pharmaceutical industry, which is actually a wonderful industry uh, and an industry that saves life. So in a health uh, crisis, I mean, clearly, we were almost automatically back to our main purpose. Our main purpose is to save life. Now, each of us as pharmaceutical industry were in different position. You are in infectious disease, you are not in infectious disease. So if you are not, which was our case, uh, what can you what can you do to help? And that was the second element that I found fascinating at Servier is that we are a non-profit foundation. And this is the first company I worked for. And I think it's almost the only one in the pharmaceutical business, which is a truly non-profit foundation. No shareholders, no family left. Um, and mm -hmm. therefore, we can do things that other cannot. Uh, uh, and and uh, we have done, I don't know how many donations, but I think what I found really uh, interesting is that very, very quickly, we were very clear about what we wanted to do is to help as much as possible. And that's from a financial perspective, from a material perspective, you know, we send PCR equipment to do diagnostic all over the 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 place in all the countries we are we are in we're basically uh, moving machines around and the last thing which i've not seen in any other company every medical doctor in the company immediately raised their hand and said i want to help they went back to hospital and obviously as a company there was no uh, second of discussion all medics were released and said you know you go work for in the uh, emergency room for as long as uh, as needed, and for some of them it was like uh, four, five, six months uh, out of job, but from one day to to the other. 
But all of that, I will summarize them and, uh, under the, uh, the topic purpose. We know why we're existing. We know why the founder created this company 70 years ago. And everybody aligned very quickly. So on, the, on, on that front, that's basically what, what we did. And it was super easy in a way to align all the company behind us. Mm. The other things that comes to my mind is uh, obviously, and that has nothing to do with pharmaceuticals or medics and all of that is, you know, my God, in a very still Franco-French company in certain aspects of its culture, <laughs> remote work, it was fantastic. That's where you know that change is great. Getting out of your zone of, com of comfort is great. I don't know how long it would have been to implement remote work at Servier, generally speaking. Yeah. In this uh, environment, it was so efficient. We moved from no teams to teams, you know, almost overnight. And the entire, you know, IT organization was super aligned and all of that to make sure that we, 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 we will continue to deliver. Because that's the other major aspect for us was to say, okay, crisis understood. How do we continue to deliver drugs? Because everybody was talking about COVID, but cancer continued to progress. Cardiometabolism disease continued to progress. And, and the idea is how can we get the medics on time to patients? So we had no choice but to have our plants to continue to manufacture the, the product. Uh, in my R&D organization, there was no question that we needed to continue to uh, do our research and, and, uh, and development. And so, but back to the same thing, our purpose was super clear. What we needed to deliver was super clear. And so past the move from face to face to teams, the rest stays the same. And it was even kind of uh, somewhat, I would say, energizing. Because then, then there was an urgency to say no rupture in delivery of our drugs and no rupture in our clinical trials. Because that would have been a, a catastrophe. Mm. But mostly a catastrophe for, for, for the patient. So uh, it's, I, I think we'll write probably <laughs> many books uh, and, and, and movie around COVID when we'll be truly fully uh, over. But there, there, there were so many learnings. But in a way, they, they allow you to extract what's really absolutely key to succeed and to lead through uh, through crisis you have to have a vision you have to have a purpose and that's easier in the pharmaceutical industry than other industry mm, mm. so what traits do you think are the most crucial to have as a good leader today because what was important even five years ago is probably not what is advantageous or even essential now I think it's probably back to some of um, of the traits I was talking about uh, answering your first your first question. Certain things are so unpredictable that you have to be. It's almost like being a. I don't know what I would use as a, a metaphor, but for me, it's like wild animals on on 
being extra sensitive to your environment and surround yourself with as much diversity as you can mm. in a very again very humble way i'm saying there is no wrong right answer there are probably many answers to whatever situation and so more diverse more open more curious more uh, listening you are better chance you have to uh, to find to 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 uh, find your way uh, and and being able to move forward in an efficient way and and i must say that's probably things that you learn over a long period of time and i've been a lot about luck too huh? i've been uh, very lucky to uh, to to come across people uh, go work in different countries different culture because that helps you a lot to uh, to uh, to open up and and say there's not one way of uh, of doing things and it's kind of interesting because that's i still see uh in a company with strong culture of a tendency and it's it's a fine balance between what is your dna that you don't want to give up that have made the success of a company and how do you and what's the proportion of that versus what are you ready to open up to new dimensions new ways and full diversity and that's it's not an easy there's not a magic recipe uh but all of that will make you uh will make you successful but listen 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 be curious and uh and open up to diversity one of the things that's, that uh, struck me as you were talking there is um something that i i talk a lot about is i think Today, leaders need to know themselves. You know, um, in the past, I think there was a lot of bluster and much more a directive style that was typical. But today, mm -hmm. you know, we really do need to know ourselves and what drives us, what our beliefs are, what our biases are, and what our own purpose is. Well, I, I I come across a, a certain resistance in a lot of leaders when you ask them to, no, don't look at anybody else. T turn the microscope inwards, you know. What's your experience of that? No, I, I, first I to totally agree. And that's a major change from uh, management of the uh, 60s, even probably the 70s. Uh, uh, and and uh, it's also interesting on the, the type of leaders we are now looking at versus probably the one we were looking at uh, 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. For me, what you are describing, which I agree fully with, is uh, how can you get, maybe I will first ask the question is, how do you get to authenticity if you don't know yourself and, and, and you are not... Uh, inside yourselves absolutely clear on what you want to achieve on this uh, on earth and how do you uh, want to uh, do that with uh, with your team or with a lar larger organization wh whatever it is it's first to admit that there's not many things that you you achieve. so so if your objective let's start there uh, is to uh, is to have an impact and, and, and we are on this planet for a fairly short period of time. 
getting older, you realize how short it is. And say, but if sure. you still have the same, uh, again, uh, purpose that you, you you had when you were thirty or forty, is to have is to have an impact to, to say you know I've done something useful on, on this planet. And again, in our industry, it's maybe easier than in, in other industry. You know, stay, staying apart with with from the uh, from family matters because it's exactly the same story. But to be able to do that, you have to be authentic. And, and and let's start by the principle that people are not stupid. So they will not follow. I, that's my very strong belief is that they will not follow a leader that today that do not display some form of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you can, you know, uh, uh, transform play with and all of that either you are or or you are not and it starts by actually being really uh, open and transparent about yourself and what you feel about yourself as any human being you know, you have uh, <laughs> plus and, and and minuses and the most important thing is not to have only plus or uh, make a minus disappear it's just to know it and therefore, in your interaction with others, you you are, you'll be in a in a much again you will be grounded. I love that expression you used before. Is the uh, that's that helps you to uh, to know exactly who you are, where you want to go. Then it's uh, it makes it simple with other people. So, you currently work at Salvier, which I know specializes in cardiology, oncology, neuroscience, and immuno. Uh, inflammation are these key areas uh, how Salvier distinguishes itself from other large pharmaceuticals or is it something else and I know you've just touched on that a a little but uh, say a little more to make it short on one side because I could go for hours on uh, on science and medicine and that's not the purpose today is that obviously uh, we try to differentiate ourselves from a scientific and, and and medical point of view that's for sure. But for me, the major difference and, and, uh, and the reason I got very deeply attached to this, uh, to this organization, it's because it's a foundation. And what, where, where does it make a difference? It makes a difference in a world where, for the moment, still profitability, profit in general, making shareholders happy, is the main objective and main purpose. And I've worked in those companies and I've learned different things in those companies. So I'm not trying to make a, you know, the, the good and the bad of this world. But what makes Serbia different is the fact that it's governed by a foundation. And so we can go in area where others are not going because it's either a very long journey uh, it's either a very risky journey. And probably the third element is that we don't know yet if it's going to be profitable. And sometimes it's an addition of two, sometimes it's the addition of three, because we are, we are doing projects sometimes to uh, go after uh, a disease that affects one kid. But we believe that if we can do something and we have the capabilities and competencies to do it, we will do it. And we are doing it. So that's unique. 
in my, mm. in my view, at least in my 30 years experience in this business, that's, uh, that's unique. And so if you go in the area you quoted is that, you know, how can we go uh, where others are not going, how to treat cancer? You, you have seen some of the announcement on some of the big ones at the moment and saying, you know, anything that go, doesn't do at least two billions in sales, we are not interested. Mm. Uh, mm. That's not how we, we are looking at it. Obviously, mm. even in a non-profit foundation, you need to make profit, otherwise you die. And, and so we are injecting all our profit to uh, finance R&D, to uh, upgrade our, uh, our um, facilities, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the, that's our purpose. That's our purpose, and 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 it's it's fascinating. We worked obviously like any any others a lot with uh, patients, patient from the uh, associations. Um, it it rings a bell for 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 these guys because you know it's not just words. We are all working for patient, and we have some somewhere patients in our. But for us, it's the ultimate beneficiary. There is no shareholder. So the ultimate beneficiary is the patient. And so that allows us to go in a, a pediatric cancer, pediatric rare disease, where there is really ton, nothing today, uh, where you know, death comes after five months, six months, a couple of years after diagnosis. Uh, and there's a lot, to be, a lot to be done. Now, would we be successful? I don't know because it's a tough road, but we're able to take that tough roads uh, as soon as we balance basically our portfolio with some easier, uh, easier project to make sure that uh, we, are, we are surviving through. So for, for me, that, that makes a, a huge difference. And I honestly didn't realize that before getting in, uh, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's basically in the wall, it's in the, uh, DNA of people who have been in this organization for a long time. It's uh, it's just an amazing uh, an amazing place for for that. And and you know me, <laughs> I always woke up uh, in the morning excited to start the day. But it's even more today than it has ever been because because that's that's the ultimate uh, purpose. Fabulous. So going on from that, social responsibility is very important um, both to you and to Servier. So can tell us more about that and, and why you think it's increasingly meaningful in business as a whole? Uh, for, for, for many different reasons, but uh, uh, num number one, you have to personally believe that uh, it is something meaningful and you want to do something about it. That's, that's, uh, that's for sure. But uh, I think that's a must. Otherwise, we don't have the, we don't have the discussion. For me, I looked at it uh, and I got, interestingly, really uh, into it and trying to start to understand as a scientist will do, really on saying, first, is it true? Is it just a cycle? Is it, is, what's the reality? And I invest more and more time. And actually, the um, executive committee at Servier invested more and more time in the last, even the last 12 months, really to get into uh, the understanding before saying, okay, what can I do about it? So I think it's super important. I think it's, again, even more important if you are a foundation because it's, it, it's kind of intrinsically linked to your, uh, to your values. But interestingly, the angle which I found the most interesting is that if you want to attract 
young generation. <laughs> if you want to attract young talent today, beyond having a purpose, which we have, I hope I convince you. But if you don't do anything about that, if it's not embedded in your strategy, if it's not reflected then in your project and in your objectives, I think you have no chance of getting talented young generation in your, uh, in your troops. So for me, and again, back, curiosity, openness, observing, look at our kids. I don't know how yours are, but you know, it's in every single conversation with my uh, 30, 20 year old, younger, not yet, but for them, it's, it's almost, uh, it's becoming an habit, and not, not in a uh, toxic way. It's just like, you know, I'm buying this. Oh, where is it coming from? How is it made? Uh, and, and, and so I don't think you will attract thir 30 years old and younger. Well, <laughs> with good brain, if you are not putting a huge effort and convincing them that they can help the company to do something about it. So, uh, mm. and I'm a sponsor and at XCOM on, on many, uh, so it goes from actually uh, diversity uh, and inclusion to uh, eco packaging and, uh, and I'm finding myself <laughs> sponsor of, I don't know how many of those initiatives. I think it's, it's fundamental, it's key, it's key. Mm. And, uh, and Tom, honestly, uh, I, I don't know you, but I feel responsible. Mm. You know, I can always uh, say, well, we didn't know. Huh? <laughs> it's like getting lung cancer when you were smoking, saying, I didn't know it was toxic. But so we have participated in some of the mess we are in today. The least we can do, because we will not have much time, is to prepare for the next phase and, and, and do something about it and at least uh, slowing it down. So. So I, I think it's fundamental, fundamental, but very much under the angle of um, it's only young generation that can do something about it. And I, as you know, uh, I trust uh, human beings and humanity a lot. That's the only belief I had uh, in my life. And, uh, and I will we'll, we'll find solution and, and will we'll solve the, the problem, I'm sure. But if we involve young people and they want to be involved and they want to have that as part of the purpose of their life. Thank you. Yeah. Getting back to leadership to round up um, the, this uh, podcast. What do you think are the two most important things leaders can do in the next few years to attract and retain employees who are passionate about their work? You might say, well, I've just answered that. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other things that you, you, can, you can add add to it no i i, I spend um, i spent quite a bit of time on the on that topic uh, on that topic recently and and uh, funny enough yes some of it is linked to uh, uh csr at large uh, what what do you do uh, uh in that uh, in that area but interestingly I, I i thought a lot about it because we are, we are moving now um, all our French um, R&D facilities to one single site in Saclay, which is basically an area of uh, 
which we would like in France to become the next uh, Boston or the next uh, UK Cambridge um, uh, with all schools, university, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now you are, you are moving people, and, and for some in a fairly significant way, way geographically, but it's also a potentially a, a you know a change, even a revolution family-wise, because you have. A, husband, wife, partners working in a, you know, very close to uh, where they are today. So they potentially to move, they have to change kids and all that. And so you have to ask yourself, why would a guy stay at Servier to work far away, far away, 20 kilometers outskirts of Paris? Uh, why do they eventually move their family and, 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 uh, and all of that? So you have to think, about what is driving a new generation. And I only looked at, which will serve potentially uh, 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 all the ones, but I really looked at basically what will make 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old max to work at Servier, stay at Servier with this change and all that. And because it's a new building, there's lots of things we could do yeah. to say what's important. And so, you have to just survey this population. If you start with your kids, but you you can you can then enlarge the. And it's amazing, Tom, how much I learn. You know, I think we were the generation where if you if you are passionate about your work, you work, and work, 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 work. Uh, we were probably wrong, but that's what many many of us uh, did from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. No more. I mean, these guys, work-life balance is one of the first things that comes up, even in the interview process. So, okay, you have to work with that. doesn't mean that they work less, mm. but they, they, they want a different uh, balance in their life. And so you have to create something at work that looks like being at home. So you can alternate acti work activities with, I go do some sports i go do some shoppings i go see a movie uh in the middle of the day if i feel that would be good for me i want to see my kids at lunchtime uh, and so that's basically what we are trying eh? we're still in the process we'll be uh, entering the building in uh, in uh, in the spring but it's also the, the the opportunity of a new campus because we are working a lot with, with the region, with the town nearby on saying, you know, what type of infrastructure are you developing? Oh, you want to make a pool? That's a really good idea. It would be a fantastic uh, uh, pool, uh, pool nearby. Uh, and I think that's basically what will make the difference. Mm. So beyond CSR at large and making that a priority for your company, but it's how do you make life at work much more uh, qualitative in a way than just doing your work? And how do you integrate basically the company and the culture of the company as part of the overall life of an employee and uh, somebody that you want to, uh, to keep for, uh, for a while? So we are also looking at, uh, you know, I will hire, I invented a, a chief campus officer because I want somebody 100% focusing on how is life on the campus, 
how how how, how is it attractive how is it fun mm. how can we create event things that are completely out of uh, that make people really uh, have basically fun fun i think it's essential uh and the the, the ultimate goal is I, I always joke with my colleagues i said you know we want to create the miss out syndrome so you'll have somebody like we are today on zoom and teams having other guys on site having had a day full of lots of exciting stuff work but other things and saying shit i should have gone to the site rather than stay home <laughs> so if we succeed at that if we succeed at that great but i think let's go back to that's how we will attract retain in in the in the long run and uh, some business it's more important than other but we are as you know in the pharma we are in a very long cycle and uh, too much fluidity really doesn't help so uh, that's uh, it's absolutely key uh, key for us would we succeed i don't know <laughs> but at least that's what we are trying to do and the opportunity of a new site obviously is a uh, uh, it's the middle of a uh, very important to be close to nature. Uh, people can walk, they can run in a, in a great, uh, great environment. All of that is really important. I don't know in the UK, but I tell you, people slowly but surely are leaving Paris and the big cities to, uh, to get uh, near, close by to nature. That's another thing that drives uh, young generation a lot. Claude, we've run out of time, but thank you. It's... Um... It's been wonderful to speak with you and to revisit and and to see where you are now and and uh, the the great things that you're doing, which which are just so exciting. Um, I think all the people that work for you are very lucky. In in a sense, you've created your luck. You've ended up in a place which actually so resonates with you that you can express yourself in such a a, a full and healthy way <laughs> thanks thanks tom you you have participated in the evolution of the leader i uh, i i became so uh i thank you for that too and thank you for having me uh, today thanks <laughs>